Welcome to the Disruptors podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. In this series, we bring you interview discussions with industry expert thought leaders to share with you their views, opinions and predictions. We hope by listening to this series, you'll pick out the underlying message and start to think outside the box. Gemco agree that the most dangerous phrase in the English language is, we have always done it that way. So we want to disrupt the industry and we believe that the way to developing true intelligent buildings is by building intelligence. We're here with this edition of Gemco's Disruptor Podcasts and we're talking to Philip Pinney, Head of Residential Europe for Crestron. Now, Philip, uh, over the last um, sort of 20 years or so, we've seen some pretty defining moments in, in, in our industry, in the building automation industry, um, moving into the millennium with uh, uh, movement towards energy efficient and optimization of systems within buildings. Um, and then in perhaps in the last sort of 10 years or so, uh, a, a natural convergence between AV systems, HVAC, BMS systems into the IT arena. Now, in in a world where information is 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 coming together and integration is becoming very prevalent, um, and uh, the reliance and and the interrelationship between mechanical and electric electrical services is so important, why do you think we're seeing still such a clear uh, division and lack of convergence between these two disciplines? So, I think MLE contractors work on their own, and then the ABI IT industry has come together, and that now includes things like broad scale networks backbones of buildings, the bigger side of infrastructure, but the M&E side still sits on its own. We, we've seen a, a very few companies that actually want to explore the wet and high voltage side of things over and above the kind of AVIT piece oh, that they sit within. Absolutely. Consultants look at, look at these buildings and design the best possible systems, plural, that will go into them, and then there'll be a control side right at the very forefront. Um, we're obviously the last to, to be kind of put into the building, but one of the first to be thought of to ensure that there is a tie-up. But I've, I've experienced several times and communications that have come into either our office or me personally that's saying, how do I make this control that? And one, are the two connected? And if they are connected, how easy is it to control it? So us taking over the management or control of a fan call unit should be relatively simple for the user it shouldn't be complex because the vast majority of the time as we talk about comfort cooling and heating or air conditioning and underfloor heating is a case of actually making the complex uncomplicated. I feel I absolutely agree and I think one of the biggest issues we we come up against in in this industry is we have to uh, understand that we are providing a very specialist service but most fundamentally it's all about how we present that to the end user and simplicity of that that control and more importantly of the user's interface is really really crucial um, do you want to elaborate a little bit more and talk more about some of the areas where this is this is quite important around the collaboration and the integration piece uh, in terms of these systems one of the major ones is is kind of window treatments now that is a complete interior design led specified item i.e color shape texture but it's motorized. So obviously that then sits within either the low or high voltage arena, which means that you've then got a controls company that are dealing with that application. You're talking about rolling a piece of material up on a tube, which is a very complex matter and obviously making sure that is straight and true. So there are two people that need to come together, collaborate to ensure that that process is seamless. The, the, the quietness of the motor, you know, brushless, you know, um, the roll speed, hem bar alignment, all those things are all very, very, you know, well-to-do, you know, nice sought-after features, but unless those two talk to each other in initial stages, it breaks down. 
And that's just window treatments. And of course, there are more windows in a property than there are light switches, and there are more light switches than there are TVs. But we are also forgetting is that there are also an abundance of actuator heads for underfloor heating manifolds or you know fan core units which are getting bigger and bigger you know they're normally put in ceilings they come with massive warranties so they stay up there and they're actually completely sealed in case in point the room that we're in now has a fan core unit in above the kitchen ceiling yet you can't see it but a very small access hatch so that's for the life of the project but it's all then to do with the detail of the grill and the reason they're oversized is because they can make the grills slimmer, smaller, and pump more air and volume in. But the whole point behind that is that you've got these amazing items that are in the ceiling that are four pipe or two pipe for you know heating and cooling or just cooling only. But it's the control aspect of that. And I go back to my earlier point: you shouldn't need to control it. It's not the extreme to extreme you get in a car on a winter's day and it's fully flat out warm. And until the engine's warm, unless it's got an auxiliary heater you get nothing. With a fan core unit, it's that, you know, that response that you need. You program it to a seven day timer or it reacts to external temperatures and you should never really need to touch it. Yeah, I think it's fair to say there is often a lack of understanding of the, the actual capabilities of the, the hard uh, and the soft services that, that we are providing into these projects. And that's not only true for the end user, but also you know, quite often through the contractual chain as well. What do you think is holding back a more collaborative approach in this space? I think so from, from a developer perspective, obviously they pick a main contractor and an M&E contractor, so two major firms. And then it's up to those organizations who they use as subcontracting trades. Now, from a, from a, from a construction firm, obviously they do use, um, they outsource, but an awful lot of it is done internally. So they have their own cranes. You know, they will, yes, they'll use different people for, for kind of concrete and raw materials deliveries. They won't make steel and concrete themselves, but an awful lot of it is done by them because they can control it and it's controlling and managing risk. M&E is exactly the same. The wet and dry services throughout a building and, and even through to complete fit out has now encompassed access control, gates, barriers, parking systems, you know, all the way through to intelligent control of tags. And that, go, that goes throughout the entire building. Um, they are looking for people to work with that they can not only trust, but also have got a valuable business that's been around for a long time. These contracts get bigger and bigger. So the turnover of companies are being looked at and scrutinized quite heavily because if the value of the contract is two or three times your annual turnover, they won't look at you because they think you're a risk. But how can you ever get to that point, even though you're an amazing business, unless you're given those opportunities? So at the moment, I think it's not chicken and egg, but they stick to what they know. Um, and I think there, there is coming a time where it will change. There is this, 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 they're dying for, for new companies to come in. But as I said before, you can't just have a new company that's magically turned over an amount of money in a year. But they, they want somebody to actually come in and manage and take that risk away and make the pain as, as, as minimal as possible. I think you're right. But as with anything, the demand has to come from the client. Uh, and so we have a catch-22 here because... In many instances, the client doesn't have enough uh, understanding of the systems to know what it is they need to be asking for. What are your thoughts about this? In a single private dwelling, when a client comes in and speaks to either a manufacturer directly or an integrator, you've got that opportunity to, to educate them. 
And it's not, it's not done in that way. It's, a, it's an open discussion at high or very technical level. And you're, you're then putting across. So they may turn around and say, I'm a massive telly freak. All I want is TVs and 4K on Atmos and everything else. And all of a sudden, you're talking about things like lighting a room because that's important to immerse them in that television experience. And all of a sudden, they've got a lighting system alongside an audiovisual distribution system. Whereas when it comes to the multi-dwelling market, I don't think there is the time to educate the end user. The sales brochure has to be high level and it mentions there will be some control because obviously what goes in print means that has to kind of go in. And if you've got something that's got three, four, five, six hundred units within a dwelling, how do you actually, other than kind of multi-broadcast, email, we get too many of them, phone calls, there's not enough time in a day to phone everybody, plus people work or have other things going on. So you think, how's the best method to educate people at a huge level? The only thing is going to be printed materials or that salesperson. Yeah. Now, the salesperson is physically selling the space and the things that are within it. There's high-level brands. There's a big difference between brand A and brand B in terms of white goods. So those kind of things are put in by the developer to, to set a benchmark. And we have been used in that instance, but more so in terms of kind of solving problems that they may well have or, or reducing wall clutter uh, or acne, as they call it. So you're saying there's a clear need and demand for a different approach in the industry. But why is it so challenging to influence a change when it seems the benefits are so clear? From our perspective, it's, it's where we stop our education process, because I think if we, if we were to suddenly launch a, a backnet course, um, which is very important because we have a backnet port on the back of a process. Now, what does that mean? It's a TCP IP port that you can plug into something and it speaks backnet. But unless you're educated on that language and what it can control, it might be something that you completely gloss over. But saying that, we're not yeah, so I shouldn't say we're, we're not necessarily in the best position to educate people on BACnet. Maybe the BACnet Alliance are best to do that and actually broadly educate people. And then it's our particular piece of hardware that's got that on the end of it. Much the same as Mitsubishi would teach people about their kit and Daikin would teach people about theirs. Crestron are, are born out of a number of different routes. You know, in the commercial sector, we may be looked at as an audiovisual company a lot more than in the a residential market where we're a lot more to do with the infrastructure, lighting, heating integration and door entry integration. Whereas, you know, it, it, those two do cross over an awful lot, but the residential market is born out of that those three main elements before you've even got into the AV world. Um, because there's an awful lot of choice when it comes to AV, um, especially within the home. But if the infrastructure is not right to support it, and of course that does mean, is there a cable available? Is the wireless you know, streaming method um, high enough? Have we got enough broadband? That kind of thing. But if we don't get the, the small bits right that seem insignificant in the, in the beginning, we've got nothing for it to sit on. Absolutely. And uh, in terms of the industry itself, what do you feel are the, some of the biggest pains we're facing? So in terms of pains, um, it, there's a there's a kind of a mixed. If uh, if an end user happens to contact Crestron, most of the time it's to do with some form of of interface or integration. Um, there's possibly in a bit an update to another piece of hardware. Um, uh, tablets are, are quite famous for that. There's been an update that's been completed, and then the app sits perhaps uh, a few versions behind, um, which is why in, uh, integrators are so keen on locking those down. Um, 
the end user client doesn't understand why they can no longer use it for, for internet or, or browsing some form of social media platform, whereas actually it's, it's a control device. A remote control doesn't actually talk to your friends, um, it actually controls your television, whereas they want a, a tablet to be doing multiple things. So locking those down is quite important. Um, breakages is another. You know, why does something break if I drop it? Well, we try and do destructive testing and we've got an awful lot better um, on that over the years. Um, we, we put things in very high powered ovens or uh, liquid nitrogen based freezers. From a developer perspective, pains would be things like um, not knowing why have they got something specified and, and what does it do? So when we talk about a touchscreen, obviously the, the easiest comparison is to make that against a tablet that is high street consumer brand at a fraction of the cost. Um, perhaps, um, but of course the two devices do two totally different things. So it's justifying the equipment, um, not always something that is high value is, is necessarily great value. So they obviously want to understand that. From the from the M&E world, of course, you've got the fight of it needs to be specified and they want to use it and they want to learn all about it, although they may not be putting it in. Um, but they want to understand the system itself all the way through to a QS who's sitting there saying, I want to pay less for this item, of course. Um, but some of the some of the big ones I've had over the years, I've been to uh, I've been to a, a, some apartments in high level addresses where um, their concierge team have let you in and you've had a review of their system, and sadly they've not got what they think they've bought, which is uh, which is more common than uh, than we think. They believe they've got a full Crestron system and it's Crestron audio, Crestron video, and there's some other people's hardware in the rack. So you break that news to them and obviously then tell them that they're, they're out talking to other people. Um, programming's probably got to be the biggest one, the complexities of programming. And I think, speaking from experience, um, I've got a coding background, graphical user interfaces can be the really, really simple and easy to use, um, but does that necessarily mean that it looks cheap? So does something because it takes longer and is very complex mean that it's actually more valuable? I think the answer to that is that if you spent more time on making something uncomplex, it's actually worth more money than spending less time on making something very, very complicated. Um, gone are the days of gone are the days of loads of buttons. You know, the the, the iOS and the Android world is now kind of even stretched into cars. Um, the entire Tesla platform just looks iOS. I don't even know exactly what it is, but it's just simple to use. They, I think they even use kind of things like Google Maps for, for navigation systems. It's all there. And I'm not saying you're rewriting the rule book, but um, Crestron make their own software. But within that, there's obviously parameters of, of, of kind of very, very basic and, and the utmost extremes. Um, one big button that turns the entire house and everything in it on, and one big button that turns it all off, are nice things to have, but not how you're gonna live your life. You do need choice, but fewer button pushes. Um, I personally don't like using an iPad to control a TV, because I end up doing the, 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 the woodpecker effect of using a, a visual device to control a visual device. But for music, Brilliant. So I suppose, yeah, for, for me, I suppose the biggest thing that I've ever heard of in the time I've been here is, is definitely programming related, which is such a shame. We are improving that process with, with uh, out of the box kind of graphics package in things like studio platforms, and that will continue to grow. And it's not taking that, that uh, skill set away from a programmer, it's, it's enhancing those that perhaps aren't as strong in that area to, to give them basic media player objects or basic lighting page layouts 
so they've got somewhere to start from rather than having to try and do something completely from scratch. Crestron offers you the flexibility of doing something that's completely customized and now also very much kind of like our ping out of the box. You know, the number of light circuits that you've got or scenes gives you those number of sliders or, or kind of buttons on a page. I agree and I think uh, talking as an integrator, um, simplifying the engineering process uh, kind of end to end, uh, you know, will have uh, a lot of benefits to, to not only the people providing these systems, but also the end users ultimately. Where do you think we're going to see, um, or, or you know, what uh, do you think is going to drive uh, change in the technology and the demand moving forward um, in our marketplace? D demands, are, demands, I think, often come from the consumer market. So whatever's coming this year, um, we get excited about. So I remember in the days of 3D, when that all came out, everybody ditched their flat panel displays and went out and bought 3D. And then they had to buy a 3D-based Blu-ray player because the one that they had didn't have it and then they had to go and buy all new content um, and in fact 3D streamed at less of a compression rate than we've got stuff now coming out at 2k and 4k so then we had to go out and replace the screens again because 4k came around then they sorted themselves out and now it's 4k HDR um, and, and we're, we're not actually getting that content yet there's lots of different frame rates that that content arrives in so the consumer market often dictates um, and people get an idea for what they want to do in terms of control. So they may go and buy a smart thermostat and then they might understand a little bit more about HVAC systems and say, actually my next property or I'd like to do this properly and go above and beyond where this single room solution comes to or whole house to individual rooms, bathrooms, kitchens, bedrooms, that kind of thing. Um, so I suppose the consumer market in a way enables the end user to educate themselves and with the freedom of information that we have on the internet we can google anything and, and get an answer so you know smart thermostats and you'll get a load of sponsored links and a load of other stuff and then you'll have loads of opinions as on pages three four and five so i suppose the market itself especially residentially gets pushed upon by what we carry around in our pocket um, Apple have done an incredible job with their iOS platform of simplifying things and for some it annoys them um, and they're normally Android users I don't want that file there and I don't want it on a four um, four across the top and however many icons down the side and only one at the bottom or four we want freedom of choice and that's not an iOS user but for those that want that they've really simplified that graphical user interface for something that could be hugely complicated I suppose that push back onto us as an industry is why are you not more like Apple? Why are your touchscreens thicker than an iPad? Um, Apple make billions of components a year, and we make hundreds of thousands. There is a there is a very different uh, very different manufacturing process there. But that's not to say that the the chipsets that sit in the back of our particular products are, are less powerful than theirs. They're very much the same. It's just the way that they're actually put together and marketed. Yeah, that's a very interesting point, and I think it's fair to say that the gap is narrowing now between uh, the consumer-based smart home automation market uh, and the, the sort of higher-end AV stroke automation market that we, we're typically used to. Do you see that as a, as a risk to uh, the higher-end AV sector? So I think there's, 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 there's two points on that. I, for one, am very excited about things like IoT, because again, going back to that kind of education base, is that you get the freedom of going out and actually trying it out yourself and figuring out whether you actually want it or like it. So um, automated blinds or shades or window treatments or whatever you want to call them, that's not everybody's thing. And most people that come into the showroom here kind of talk about, 
I don't need automated curtains. I'm quite capable of getting up and pulling them or, or drawing them myself. You think, okay, um, that's not necessarily why they're there. It's more to do with the fact that actually you've got a little bit more freedom um, in the fact that you can actually open and close them when you're not at home. And I suppose that app-based kind of driver, the multi-app experience kind of gives people that, that ability to start but then it means that they, they might actually want to glue all those things together. So rather than having an app for your music, an app for your video, an app for your TV streaming service, and 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 and, they want that to kind of be merged into one. So I suppose the, 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 my support for IoT is, is, is high. I've, I've been writing articles on it for the last couple of years, and I, I believe it's great because it's a great introduction to the market. Um, you have to know what you're doing. You have to have a decent, secure network. You can't have your wireless uh, router on the default factory settings because that just opens you up for, for, for abuse in terms of cyber security. But um, if you learn from that, I think you can actually then get a, 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 um, a, bit, of a, a bit of industry understanding as to what you actually want as a full-blown system. Um, so whether that be from a wireless lighting system to a centralized one or RF-based switches or things like that. I think the word, probably the word threat's very strong. I think it's, it's as, long as, they're, as long as it's executed properly, people have a great experience using it. Um, I think the difference there is that you still reliant upon all of those different manufacturers. And if one of them decides to change something, then you, you may lose part of your system. The whole point about Crestron is that once it's set up and programmed and everything is left at base level, if you never do an update ever again to any one of those individual components, it will carry on running in the way that it was set up originally. So we are obsessed now with, with things like kind of an update to this. Will it bring me new features? Will it bring me that? Um, if you don't need to do it, then, then the question is, why would you do it? I suppose the IoT market, the only risk that I see is that you, you have the ability that you're giving the consumer that right to be able to update anything that they want. And if one's slightly out of sync with another, you may lose control. And that then becomes a frustration. Because HomeKit's the glue, do you contact Apple support or do you contact the company that provided you with the heating application or the lighting application? So I suppose there... Bringing it right back, a company is only as good as its technical support and its service, and, and that's something that we've got better and better and better at, um, uh, not only kind of in the US, but globally and also within the EMEA region. And it's something that we, we take, you know, we now take for granted as, as people that represent the company, but they work really hard to ensure that not only the training on day one is right, but also that there's prerequisites with regards to people that understand how networking works and why you would have a layer three network switch versus something that's budget and a bit cheaper. So I think IoT is incredibly strong and, and will only actually educate the market. I don't believe that Crestron are ever going to wish to play within the same market sector. Um, we've always been a, a premium high-end brand that is either kind of sought after or a, or a I must have it's in a previous property. Whereas there will be IoT elements that will exist within that, but they won't feature as a main. There will be something that is centralized processing based or you know, wired infrastructure to enable a, a solid platform. So integration is clearly a critical factor here. What do you think the solution is to uh, potentially the issue of lack of integration? It's people and companies talking more. Um, and conversations really early on. You know, one of the one of the biggest benefits that, that that I've ever seen is is kind of design team meetings at the earliest on levels. And unfortunately, um, 
Yeah, we're, we're now seeing things like, I don't say unfortunately, I mean fortunately we are seeing things. So we're seeing things like Dali, which gives people an awful lot of flexibility in lighting setups because you don't have to change wiring. So the cost is lower because you're not having to pull ceilings down or move rooms around. There are restrictions on that. You can't really do five amp sockets. You can't do wall lamps because you've got to put this, this intelligent ballast somewhere. But it then moves on again is that you you would then need somebody that is trained in Dali to be able to, to, to replace a ballast or a fixture because there is a process that you go through. We have a self-heal on our, on our module that you go through a series of buttons. It will find the one that's missing and, and re-address it. Now, within the, the mechanical and electrical side, even further on than that, that the planning documents or the consultant-based documents that are performance specs that are written very early on that dictate how that system will run and operate is all environmental with regards to the physical building envelope and the performance of a pump or the performance of a chiller. Um, but it all then comes back down to what's being presented to them graphically. So in terms of the, the, the wider integration there is, is, is does, the, does the AVIT contractor sit there that's programming give you decimal points 20.1 degrees, does it give you 20.10 degrees? Is it, what until they're speaking to this M&E consultant and this end, and then the manufacturer of that particular piece of equipment, that's really important. Because if there is a bit of a dead band of one, one and a half degrees, or it takes maybe an hour and a half to change a degree in terms of actual floor temperature, that information's valuable, because if, unless you have that, the performance of it is, is hindered or, or from day one is never going to kind of achieve what it was set out to. So again, the, the integrator is writing a, a home user guide, but that's of course got to have content that's been filled in from the, the HVAC consultant from a very early stage. Again, I think uh, typically speaking, the AV uh, provider would be engaged much earlier in the process. Uh, and, and very often there is a lack of understanding of the complex nature of the mechanical and HVAC systems um, required. And so it's, one of the, it's one of the main fabrics of a building that you can't actually change without making destructive changes. If you need to get a fan core unit out or if you need to change, to, you know, it's, it's not possible. So those calculations are done very, very early on in terms of the performance of the centralized chiller or centralized boiler um, to then reflect back on the performance of the building in terms of 100% demand um, and secondary plant rooms and things like that. But then it comes down to the actual, what's the performance internally? I go back to my earlier comment. You shouldn't necessarily need to touch a heating, ventilation, air conditioning system. It should just run. They're intelligent enough to get enough information back from slab sensors or in-room thermistors that those systems run themselves. And I suppose but the, the point that we're trying to make is that a, a, a well-educated M&E contractor, as well as the installation company, both talking to each other, ensure that that process happens, and you're looking at that AVIT company bringing that glue together. Because if you're absolutely 100% confirming your performance at that end, from your ductwork and piping in your fan core unit or your underfloor heating, you want to ensure that that's reflected in terms of a physical change, if there is one, on a wall. Do you believe that a heating and cooling system should be color coded or have numerical values. Would you rather see a blue to red and your slider, so a lot colder or warmer in terms of individual room control versus numbers? Would you ever put a timer on there to say estimated time of achieving your set point?
in some instances we've seen that, in some instances we've, we've seen it for proof of concept and then it's been removed. Obviously that then underlines the performance of the equipment that's within the building. Now, is that a, uh, a positive or a negative? So obviously if you came in from the gym and you're a bit warm and the fan call unit turned around and said, estimated time to achieve 16 degrees, one hour. You're gonna sit there going, really? The fan's on, it's making a lot of noise because um, you've increased fan speed and you've done everything in the settings to ensure that's on boost, but the chiller's not big enough. So that then points out the flaws within. Yeah, so too much information. Yeah, that's, that's a real positive because rooms are very different. I think that it goes back to the car culture. If you jump in a car on a cold day and you put the heated rear screen on, if you're lucky enough to have a front heated screen, I think there's only one company that actually has the patent for that. Maybe that's finished. But you put those two elements on and, and you can see, but it's cold. Everything in there is cold. All the leather is tight because it's, and you're in, in a jacket and you, you slide it across or you twist them around or you push the buttons and it's up to high. What's high? It's over 28. That's all I know. It's, it's, and, and you turn the fan on flat out. And like I said before, unless you've got an auxiliary heater, you are reliant upon the air passing through the back of the exhaust and, and warming, the, warming the car that way. But if the engine's freezing cold, that's trying to get up to temperature, so it takes time. I suppose in, in a room environment, this is, this is a case in point, this is very open plan where we're sitting now. If I ask for an extreme change of temperature, and we're reliant upon four pipe fan cool units, what is the estimated time for me to achieve that temperature? And we are now a society obsessed with information because we can get it out of our pockets and we can search for something. We can find a cinema, we can find a restaurant, we can find a clothes shop. So, we want that numerical value, but we don't want to wait for it. So what's the cost of achieving that faster? Are we back into bigger fan core units? I don't think anyone's ever doing this research. We, we have a monitoring platform called Fusion where we can give lots of statistics and analytics back. Do developers want to know that? Do main contractors want to know that? Do m and &E contractors want to know that? I would think the answer would be yes. Because if you can prove to a QS that it's worth spending 50 pence more because it's actually going to be more beneficial in the long run and you then have a formal partnership in place with that supplier, then surely that's going to be more beneficial versus shopping around every single time and actually finding something that sits within that particular cost. HVAC consultants come in here. Obviously, when MVHR started to feature more heavily in the movement of air, those machines or those, those particular pieces of equipment operate themselves. We don't do anything other than send them a boost signal when the kitchen or a bathroom's in use, and that's just off a lighting circuit. But they just continuously run, and they move air around. This room's a little bit chilly, we'll put some air over there. This room's a little bit too warm, we'll extract some air over there, and we'll put it in there. Racks of equipment, anything that produces heat, take it out, recirculate it. How do we vent your kit? Put an extract in, give some good some air in at the bottom or some freedom. You don't have to necessarily put a fan core unit in unless obviously you're talking extremes in terms of uh, BTU output. But the vast majority of the time, I think we waste energy that's within a building envelope because we're not necessarily managing it properly. Okay, Phil, so what's your uh, general view on the, on the market? Um, general view on the market, there's obviously a lot of uncertainty with, uh, with Brexit. Um, and I think... Um, a number of people are sitting on lots of land that they have. I think at any one time, developers own pockets of land around the capital, if we just concentrate on London for the, for the time being, that um, 
that they might not develop for a, for a long period of time. And they may choose their time either because there's three or four developments that are currently going on and they don't want that competition or labor's hard to get hold of or there is uncertainty in the market and people aren't perhaps buying. So there is... Um, there's still land being acquired and sold. Some people are buying things, sitting on it for a while and then selling it on and actually not developing it. But I think in the, in the main, it's healthy. Properties are still moving. People are still building. Um, so people are still employed. Construction is still going ahead. Um, and we're still seeing projects being either bought to us or we're going out and finding them. Moving forward then, what do you think needs to happen to ensure that standards are improved and uh, projects are more often than not delivered to a, a, a much higher standard? as we started right back at the very beginning is is if people are talking to each other and forming unofficial partnerships or collaborations with each other that not necessarily contractual but just so you're exchanging that skill set and you're breaking down those kind of barriers to entry as if a you know there should be some trust in that AT, AVIT there should be some trust in that M&E contractor because you're all going to be working towards the same goal which is to minimize the disruption to the client before, during, and after that installation. You know, I always kind of think that you know, we offer a manufacturer's warranty, but that affects those that have to actually go out and complete that manufacturer's warranty. So it's okay for me to turn around and commit to infinite lifetime warranty on something, but you as the service person, after a period of time, that's costing you money, not making you money, because you, other than recovering cost of travel, whatever. So I think if, if, we're, if we're being honest, everybody working together nicely, wouldn't that be a, 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 a kind of dream country? But I think if we're, if we're being honest and, and people are actually wanting to engage with each other and forming great partnerships, they will, they will be there forever. You, you make kind of long-term friends from school and you take them on to college and university and you keep in contact because they're good people. And I think in business it's exactly the same. People buy from people. It doesn't necessarily matter on the box that you're buying, unless it's a Crestle one, of course, which is obvious. But you want to obviously ensure that the people that uh, you're working with have, have, have got the support from you and, and are not going to go in and undermine something that you've said previously and try and sell something else in, because that only happens once and they're, they're not somebody that you wish to run a partnership with. But I think if, if people are actually bringing those skill sets together, that's only going to ever improve the industry improve the reputation of the industry and actually improve everybody's earning capabilities. So it's about providing a more rounded proposition through um, better education, greater understanding of uh, peripheral systems or systems that need to be integrated into, uh, the, into a platform. And that's why we have multiple divisions all the way through from kind of finance, service support, first line technical support on the phone, advanced technical support, physical site visit. We attend more residential sites than we do commercial sites. But again, because there's multiple parties that are involved. And that's not to say that you know, the residential side of the industry isn't as good as the commercial side of the industry. It is just that in the commercial market, there is a brand, and this is a particular way that they do it. They work with a consultant and a delivery mechanism. Whereas in the residential market, there's lots of things that are pushed into a project and those people aren't necessarily exposed to each other. You're all inducted at different times. You're all working on your little key element and someone's getting that particular piece ready and someone's getting that particular piece ready. And there's this people at the end that make the magic happen, as they say. But that's not necessarily how it should all come together. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Gemco Intelligent Buildings Group. 
You can find more information about us on our website at gemcoibg.com or all social media platforms. 